Hello and welcome to DigFinVox, Voices in Digital Finance. I'm your host, James DiBiazio. If you enjoy the program, give us a like, subscribe, show us some love. My guest today is Mark Munoz, Managing Partner at Vector Fintech Partners. Mark is a longtime venture capitalist, and he spoke with me about trends in VC, investing in fintech, and what's next in a tumultuous world. Mark Munoz, it's a pleasure to have you on DigFinVox. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to the conversation ahead. We're going to talk today about venture capital at a very interesting time for the industry. Uh, and of course, you're, you specialize in fintech, so we'll get into that as well. But let's just get straight into the heart of what's going on. Uh, you know, How much of what we're seeing today with rising interest rates, um, the closing off of equity markets for exits, um, and uh, valuations being completely reconsidered. Uh, how much of this should we think of as like akin to the dot-com boom and bust of 2001? Uh, and uh, and how much of this is really a, a separate, unique set of uh, set of trends? Yeah, it's a great it's a great way to start dive dive right into the doom and gloom of the world. Um, <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I, I do have, have, have to wait a we, we, we do. <laughs> you know, the, the thing is, and, and fortunately and unfortunately for me and, and a few other folks out there, we have been through these cycles. I, I did go through the dot-com boom and bust. I was there. It actually started my first company um, that did, did just amazingly well. And we were able to exit right before it all fell apart. Um, and having gone through 2009 and what we went through in 2010 as well, so there, there is some similarity to what we're seeing today, and um, and 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 I will talk a little bit about that. But you know, there's something that I thought was important that uh, I was in, I was at a conference recently in Riyadh, and uh, one of the, the gentlemen said, you know, despite these hard economic times and what we foresee ahead, it's it's, it's always brought out new innovation, it's always brought out new opportunity, and for the VC community in particular. I think you know it's not a bad thing that valuations got readjusted. It's not a bad thing that some startups are getting weeded out, which is tough to say, you know, because you want to support all founders, but it definitely levels the playing field in a in a unique way that provides better opportunity for perhaps the VCs, and it forces these startup companies to take a long, hard look at how they're growing, um, and focus on some some fundamentals. Now, with that being said. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm afraid to say, you know, we are talking ourselves into a recession. Um, it's not a great thing. Uh, inflation obviously is here. The interest rates are obviously high. And I don't think we've seen the worst of it. That's, that's the real hard part. Right. And the same was true in the dot-com days when things were really falling apart and, and, and valuations were being slashed and, you know, public companies that went public are now filing for bankruptcy. Uh, you know, it was, it was tough, but, but the market eventually, you know, it was, it was good for the market. It was good for investors long term, and we were better off for it at the end of the day. Although it was tough for those yeah. few years. I think the big macro difference, though, is that you know in in two thousand two thousand one, we really were we didn't know it, but we were only halfway through the great moderation. This period of gen, basically, you know, falling interest rates from the beginning of the nineteen eighties, um, and essentially benign conditions. Globalization was at that point really just beginning to take off in a serious way. 
Now we've got conditions where interest rates look to be continuing to go up and they may moderate, but they're certainly not going to go away. Uh, we're not going to go back to the kind of ultra low, easy money rates that people sort of got a little bit addicted to over the past decade. Uh, and at the same time, we've got geopolitical tensions, um, you know, the war in Ukraine, uh, you know, Beijing and Washington, kind of, you know, look glaring at each other. Um, so we do have a very different set of conditions than we did have in, in 2001. So when you look at the portfolio within, let's say, your remit, which is fintech, do these big macro things, do they come into play? Do you have to think about that or or or, or do you or can you ignore that because you're just so focused on finding good companies? You know, there there is an element of we have to be aware of what's happening in the market. It affects our, our, our current portfolio, both in our first fund and even in our second fund, which we just launched earlier this year. You know, nine companies in our second fund over the last uh, eight months. And sure enough, there are some fallouts, not necessarily from the, the portfolio companies, but their prospects. Um, so they were maybe working with some clients in Europe, which that's now been put on hold. Uh, they might have been doing financing in Southeast Asia, and that's really slowed down significantly. And so these macro events are causing a lot of ripple effects, even down to the, the smallest of small companies. And, and luckily, you know, in some ways, in, in all, luckily in some ways for our, our fund, we're very fortunate in that we had already raised fund two by February of this year. Um, I feel it's really, really challenging. And I know a lot of my, my friends, uh, colleagues, other GPs at other funds are struggling to raise their fund now um, to support their, their portfolios, to support you know, startups around the region. So that's the really challenge I think that we have. Yeah, and that's um, that is sort of a roll of the dice, isn't it? I mean, you got your LP locked in uh, right before things began to kind of go south. So if it, if you'd done, if you needed to get your LPs signed, uh, you know, in August or something, it might have been a a different st story. Yes, for sure. And and not only that, you know, even our LPs are are telling us they're saying, look, we're you know, what what are your capital calls for the next you know. 12 months, um, right. we're going to prepare now. We want to make sure that that's locked in. Obviously, nobody wants to default, and we're not, we're not expecting that. I don't, I don't foresee that happening uh, with, uh, with other funds. But it's, it's, a, it's also a very fun call to get from your LP saying, can we deploy now? Can you do a capital call before the end of the year? <laughs> uh, good problem to have, I suppose. Yeah. The other good problem to have is that now that you've got a fresh round of funding uh, to, to go after opportunities, the valuations that you're looking at with the, the companies must be a lot more attractive to you. Uh, yes and no. I mean, we typically invest at the seed and series A stage. We do do some deals now and then uh, in Southeast Asia, in Asia and broadly, uh, maybe, maybe broad stroke for Asia, we haven't seen dips in valuations more than 5% at the seed level. Um, so it's been very minute. At the A level, 5 to 10%. So there is there is a drop in valuations, but it's not significant enough in a way that that, uh, that we see bigger buying opportunities. It's in, in the U.S., although our, our investments in the U.S., we do see a, a little bit larger drop, and they especially are harder hit at the Series B and C levels. And so therein lies the problem. We're, our portfolio companies that have progressed from seed into the B round, you know, they need to have enough cash for 15, 18 months because they're not going to be able to get the type of valuations that we were even hoping for, let alone how they were thinking about it. Right. Um, and fortunately, we, we've got a good good batch in there. Um, 
the investments that we're looking at now at the seed level, we, we don't have to, we, we've never needed to really drive down prices uh, at that level a, a little bit here and there. We are able to get to interesting terms, um, additional, you know, for rider rights or options and sort of different types of uh, longer term protection that we're, you know, given the amount of money that we're putting at risk. Below, so you operate obviously at that, that early stage level. Um, which, as you just described, is fairly unchanged because you're dealing with, at the end of the day, you're dealing with usually a lot, so many unknowns. It might be an unknown founder, uh, unknown technology, un, you know, maybe a brand new market segment. Um, but then, at least in the past, let's say, 10 years of VC, 10, 15 years, the, the, the way is that you would then sell that on, you would either exit or hold on to part of it as it up rounds, up rounds, up rounds increasing valuation and then at some point you know like a, a tiger global or a soft bank or somebody like that would swoop in and then it's you know it's a, a unicorn and then you go list on nasdaq and everybody's happy but that doesn't happen so much now um and these stories are being you know a lot of those stories were driven on uh questionable metrics um you know uh as opposed to solid foundational stuff so you so in your area down at the you know that seed to a stage a level um does that change the way you think about how to position and package these companies are these companies being packaged for the next milestone to get into a bigger round uh and then create a story but total addressable market tam type stuff or is it more sort of old school roll up the sleeves you're in there with your team you're helping these guys maybe not operate the business directly but you're you're much more involved with with the with helping those companies what do you see happening there in terms of that that role for you? Yeah, it's a <laughs> it's it's a mixed bag, to, you know, just to to put it out there without trying to not going to try to dodge the question <laughs> because it's a really <laughs> good one. It's one we think we think about every day. Um, but look, I I feel like we've always had a philosophy that's very different from um, the, the the tigers and the hill houses of the world or even even the a16 beds and sequoias and that our portfolio and given the sector that we in or we're in we we never needed to grow a company uh, for growth sake for that grow at all cost type mentality that that was really never our our mantra particularly in fintech because and and particularly in fintech b2b because we're dealing with you know, young technology companies that are delivering, you know, very compliant, secure solutions to larger financial institutions. So you want to make sure that the business fundamentals are right from the beginning. Uh, you want to make sure that the company is going to be solvent uh, through and through as they're delivering for some of these big corporate clients. And so we do have, we've always, you know, focused on just the basics, the fundamentals, what is CAC, what does the LTV look like? And of course, at the early stage, we can't tell. Um, I, I wish I could, but you know, we, we we can't. We can only roll up our sleeves, you know, sit there right next to the founder, and try to study the same problems that they're seeing, whether it be in distribution or a client contract or hiring development team, um, versus the hey, here's here's your two three million, and let's see where you end up in terms of uh, user base and uh, API calls or what have you. That's really not how, how we can operate. And I think you've seen that change uh, going from sort of uh, funds and VCs who may operate at three, four hundred, five million, five hundred million dollar funds for, for many years, changing back towards more of the what are we what problem are we solving? What are the fundamentals to get this company from C to A 
you know, and how does it become profitable? And I'm, you know, really, really excited that one of our Singapore companies recently, uh, just this year, became profitable precisely because we, we can focus on a lot of these fundamentals. Let's talk about the fintech scene in general. Um, you know, you always, investors such as yourself, uh, you know, you're scouring all these different stories. Uh, are there particular segments that you focus on as, I guess, baked into the vector uh, mandate? Um, or are there just stories or themes that you are gravitating towards, whether intentionally or it just happens to be where you find the good founders right now? Yeah, I think uh, it's it's quite funny because as we look at the fintech companies in a public market and, and seeing how just devastating their price has dropped, uh, it does make us rethink the world. <laughs> it really makes us rethink the sectors uh, and, and the businesses and, and, and sort of the, not just the fundamentals that they had, but how they were going to market, what was their current budget for perhaps user acquisition and those things, and try to then sort of readjust our thought process uh, as what we're seeing here, uh, maybe in, in, in Hong Kong versus Singapore versus the Philippines, and go, are we seeing similar businesses in the public market today that have just been crushed? And you know, all tech across the board has been crushed, so it's, it's not just in tech, um, so, so broad strokes there. But are there lessons learned in the public markets that will help us, you know, identify companies that uh, in Asia that might be uh, winners? Um, with that being said, you know that does that has changed our perspective. Uh, but we go back to the basics. We look at the founder. We look at the founding team. We look at the problem they're trying to solve. Um, we we honestly in, in in Asia in particular we we don't focus so much on Tam or Sam. Um, we focus on long-term partners or you know strategic opportunities where we see this company being able to grow at a at a at a, at a rate that will provide them sustainability and help them move through that through that chain. Um, now, with that being said, you can, can look at every country and, and have a different view. Uh, Hong Kong, of course, we're looking at companies who have very good GBA opportunities, very north of you know, north of Hong Kong opportunities how they're going to market there, what does that regulatory structure look like. Um, Philippines, we see some fantastic companies with just some amazing founders. Um, and so that's a big focus area for us. Um, Singapore is, is also very strong in a number of areas in terms of wealth management products. And so we're looking at you know, wealth management solutions for Southeast Asia um, and actually exploring Vietnam. Um, there's there's been a number of innovations there and companies that are coming to market that we that we think are right and it's traditionally in the infrastructure side uh, of things versus deep tech or or capital markets. Do you tend to think of these companies in sort of these geographical buckets because that's how you do business in Asia, um, or do you also have an overlay in terms of oh okay I'm, I'm I'm thinking about artificial intelligence or I'm thinking about blockchain or or data or cloud or whatever. Yeah, I, I mean, Southeast Asia is just the, well, Asia in general, we do look at it country by country. We look at it country specific. We, we have broad themes of what we're trying to invest in. Um, you know, cybersecurity is one area where we're, we're very excited about what we're seeing uh, out of the U.S., out of Europe. Um, we don't see as much uh, here locally, but there are some re really good companies in that space. Um, we do think that there is opportunities in digital private banking, sort of high, high, high end or high net worth uh, products and distribution. Um, there's a, actually, there's a very interesting company in, in, in the region 
um, that's doing some unique things there, but we see most of those opportunities again, broadly speaking in the US. Um, and so for us, it's always a very country specific type of endeavor. And what we found, you know, just lay it out there is um, you, if, you, if, you, if you look at the trends and the themes that we see in North America or Europe, we see a lot of Me Too companies in Asia. Okay. If we think about deep tech, we're seeing much more North America, Asia, uh, North America, Europe, um, Israel. Um, we see less deep tech uh, sort of opportunities here. But when we look at um, specific asset classes, specific distributions, uh, payment networks, uh, infrastructure, we see a lot more opportunity in individual countries around Asia. Because they're originating things that suit emerging markets perhaps better than what they might come up with in, in the West. Is that, is that broadly right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, I mean, take a look at uh, our investment in MicroConnect, um, which is a fantastic revenue-based sharing uh, technology distribution company that's based here in Hong Kong that's focused on mainland China. They've been able to uh, land clients in every province in China, bar one, bar one, they just haven't been able to find a good, good opportunity there yet, but they've been able to distribute their product very rapidly um, into a market, which is right for, for these types of, uh, this type of lending. Well, not even lending, it's revenue-based sharing. That leads to one question is scale. So if a company does well in the Philippines or in uh, in Hong Kong slash China, uh, or Vietnam, how is how how easy is it for them to grow then regionally or or beyond? Um, you know, are these companies being groomed to be kind of global companies from an early stage, or are they really becoming, you know, local companies that may someday have something that they could take beyond? Yeah, it, that that has been a big challenge, um, I think, for the DC community as a whole. And our our approach has been one where we want a company to just focus on its core market, own 30, 40, 50%, if not more, of their core market, become the champion in their core market, and then look to jump off. And then when you do jump off, right, when you do jump off, in many cases, not always, but from what we've learned over the, over the decades plus doing this, is it's often better to do a JV with a local partner. Um, there, right? And, and, and so we've seen great sort of investment opportunities and great companies, for example, in Japan, they try to move to Southeast Asia and, and they struggle. But those who have done a JV, perhaps where the Indonesian FinTech or a Singaporean bank or whatever it may be, end up being really winners. And we find at, 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 at that point that we can open up the probabilities for a higher exit. Right, because that that is ultimately that is the name of the game for for us here at Vector is is we we do want to foster a good founder community, but we want those founders and the fund um, to really find exit opportunities. And so our strategy, and this applies to Asia, uh, this really applies to Asia, is that those companies where we're able to find. Um, that they've grown from C to A to A to B or whatever it may be, there'll be an opportunity perhaps for us as a fund to sell down 10, 15, 20% of our position in that company in a secondary or in the next round, return money back to our LPs, um, make the fund whole and then some, and yet continue to be able to support that company in the right way. And, and I think those companies that are able to start off in their country, 
really prove out their solution, not just find product market fit, but, but basically find dominance um, in their category are the ones that will really have the best opportunity to jump off into other countries and ultimately be good fund returners for, for us. I'd like to ask you, as, as we're getting to the end of this, Mark, um, some areas that have been controversial this year, obviously the crypto markets are, are being roiled by all kinds of, uh, of problems. We don't need to go into that. I think everybody knows what those are. Um, but you have a few blockchain companies in your portfolio, um, not may, maybe differentiate between enterprise blockchain and and retail stock crypto stuff. But um, but just how do you see when you when you see this kind of turmoil going in that's associated with a particular technology? Does that color your view of of how to position um, fintech B two B enterprise companies that are using this technology? Yeah, we're still very very bullish on digital assets, um, despite what's happening with, with uh, FTX and, 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 and what's happened in the past and the amount of uh, things that have gone wrong in that space. And, and therein lies our thesis and therein lies the, 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 the homework that we do, um, which is to do exactly what you described, Jim, which is we, we divide the world into there's blockchain, there's blockchain technology, there are the tools, the services, the security layers, the things that enable blockchains to function and, and function well. There's the crypto assets, you know, and the and the, and the products um, that get distributed, you know, be it institutional. You know, we, we are not in that. We, we don't invest in that space out of the FinTech fund. Um, we don't invest in tokens specifically. We always look for equity. Um, we find that's the best way we can support founders. And then, in, and then you have the things that are in between. And those things in between, we also invest in. That could be custody solutions. We invested in, in Credo. Um, could be institutional network. So Paradigm is out of Singapore. Um, we just invested in, in a company out of Europe called Master Exchange. That's doing something quite unique in the uh, digital digital rights space for music. But again, these are building blocks. Um, these are the tools that you need in order to distribute products and services on the blockchain to a wider mass, and and uh, that's that's key to us. And so that has actually been how we manage our risk. Um, mm. we're, we're not a you know, and and I and, and that's not for 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 lack of want, but it's it's what our LPs and where we see um, the best opportunities. Because again, when we look back, and this is this is this is super important. Um, in terms of how I think folks should look at the space. Um, when the internet was really taking off in the dot-com area, go back to, to what happened there. Um, th yeah, there was some amazing companies that were building networking equipment like Juniper. Um, you know, they were building routers and hubs. Those are great infrastructure plays and great investments um, to be making. Um, and that's how we look at, at the blockchain space. We want to invest in the tools and services that are doing the distribution and protection and underpinning for the technology. Do you have a view on on AI? Uh, you know, uh, I forget how long ago it is, but Andreessen, of course, talked about software eating the world. Now we're looking at AI eating software, which I think is an NVIDIA quote. Um, but and then in fintech, um, of course, I, I write about this and I talk to people that use AI. 
but it's always a little bit on the dull side. It's helping some asset manager, you know, do their compliance reporting a little bit better or something, you know, it's, it's not, it doesn't get the pulse racing, uh, but it's obviously super important to these institutions and able to, to manage fraud risk and, and uh, be more efficient. But this year we've seen incredible stuff, not, not in FinTech, but uh, just, you know, the, the generative AI with, uh, with illustrations, um, text, uh, uh, poetry, even uh, coming out of uh, some some startups in the U.S. and it's pretty mind blowing, right? I mean, it's it's very cool stuff. If you've seen like the Dali uh, illustration work and stuff like that, you know, it really brings home yeah. the power of this stuff. So I just wanted to bring it back to: Do you have a, a view on in your portfolio and the companies you work with that are working with artificial intelligence? Are they you know, do you do you see that accelerating or or becoming more relevant to financial institutions in some way? We we do. We have invested in AI companies, fintech AI companies specifically. Um, and I, and I think to your point, I, I I actually quite agree with the sort of the development and the progress of AI in financial services. I haven't we, we haven't seen anything that's as mind blowing as the Dolly. So that was that was pretty amazing, but. But what we what we are finding is that first generation and actually it's more like second generation of AI that's out there in the market today are able to sort of provide real real real. Uh, this might be have to might have to back up on this a bit, but ROI. Um, the, 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 this generation of AI companies that we're seeing and even the first ones that we've invested in are now at a level where they're able to show an ROI for the clients in a material way. Um, and it's not just robo-advisors, it's being able to digest information faster and get more accurate results when you ask it a question. Um, we invested in a no-code, low-code AI platform for financial institutions, uh, and it's probably one of the largest wealth management AI tools for, for these groups that digest 10Ks and, and SEC reports and then are able to return back answers to questions the analyst might have um, and it's doing it in, in, a, in a very significant way where it's not just saving time it's providing new insight um, that the analyst may not have thought of before i still think we have a long way to go for fintech in ai um, you know you see a lot of companies that uh, just throw ai into their uh, into their into their technology stack to say that they have it uh, without really focusing on the deeper tech and benefits that it can bring um, and so I think we're going to see more and more and better and better tools over the next couple of years. And it's a space that we are obviously looking to invest in. One last question for you, Mark, and thanks so much for your time today. Uh, if I'm a founder and I wanted to put together a pitch deck for, uh, for Vector, I'm doing FinTech and I'm looking for funding. Um, the elements of what's a successful pitch to you today, is that different than what it would have been, say, two years ago, or is that unchanged? It's, it's really unchanged. I mean, I think a lot of the fundamentals for where we like to invest is the origin story, the founder's background, why are they doing this? They don't have to be a domain expert in whatever they're trying to do. We've learned that um, quite well, but um, it's really what problem you're trying to solve and how you're going to go about it. It's, it's the basics. Yeah, great. Well, um, good luck with the rest of the year. I uh, hope those capital calls come come good for you. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, and of course, for your founders as well. Uh, so it's been a pleasure speaking with you. And thanks for your time, Mark. Thank you, Jim. Have a great day.